0: Are recording with Dr. Su- oh, is it recording? Is it recording? Yes, it is. Dr. Is it, Re- it Coleshaw Smith or just Colshaw?
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Uh, either one. Right. Culture is my maiden name. It's the name under which my PhD was um, awarded. Okay. But Smith is my very name. Either one is fine.
0: Okay, beautiful. Well, your book uh, about, uh, about AIDS, and uh, it's, uh, it's actually it's, it's on Audible. I think I left the first review. So that's that's my little that's my little oh, thank you. that's my little crowning achievement. Uh, the link to that is in the description. Uh, so is the link to your Substack. Um, but could you please introduce yourself for all the all the listeners and kind of describe what we're getting into? As I post the live link, I'm not playing with my phone. I'm posting the live link.
1: Okay, so um, I have a PhD in mathematical biology which I was awarded in 2002 from Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, under the supervision of Dr. Shigui Ruan, who is now at the University of Miami in Pearl Gables, Florida. Um, My dissertation was called Immune Response Models of HIV Infection and Treatment. Um, So I started studying this back in the 1990s and uh, mathematical biology and specifically Mathematical modeling of infectious disease processes was a really new and exciting field at the time, and I had—I was born in the '70s, so I grew up during the age of AIDS. I remember when HIV was first announced um, to be the cause of AIDS in 1984. I remember the fear and the tension and the the lack of knowledge that we lived with for a long time. And I always thought that this d- disease was interesting, and I was also aware that there was you know, different um, theories as to how this, this virus, human immunodeficiency virus, managed to completely destroy people's immune systems. And um, when I got into mathematical biology, I found out that there were people doing mathematical modeling of this exact sort of thing. Um, and so I approached the only mathematical biologist in the department and I asked him if he would be willing to work with me on a thesis regarding um, some of this type of math- mathematical modeling so when i started to study this of course i had to become extremely familiar with all of the literature um regarding regarding the pathogenesis of hiv and the more that i started to study the weirder things started to seem first thing that i noticed and i think a lot of people noticed this especially in the early 90s was that first of all there were a lot of people with hiv that did not seem to be getting sick and um At the beginning, people were saying, okay, there's this latency period, you get infected with HIV and okay, maybe a year later, it's going to destroy your immune system, you're going to be vulnerable to all these pathogens you've otherwise been able to fight off. Late 80s started, um, you know, rolling around and people were not getting sick, latent period, okay, let's say it's five years and then they kept lengthening the latent period 10 years and beyond. So I thought it was really interesting that there were a lot of people that appeared to be HIV positive, whatever that means, and they just never got sick. Um, were they just asymptomatic carriers? Was something else going on? And another curious thing I noticed was that there also are a lot of people who have what appears to be full-blown acquired immunodeficiency with no trace of HIV at all. This, was, this came out dramatically at the 1990 AIDS conference when a bunch of people with literal HIV negative AIDS started coming along. Anyway, I digress. Um, I was studying all of this stuff and I thought, this this is a really, really weird virus. Um, one of the things that my models took into account was that, and let me just go back to explain what the initial um, model of the development of AIDS was, and that was this, that you get infected with this virus, sexually transmitted or transmitted from mother to child or through blood products. and It infects what are called your helper T-cells or your CD4 T-cells, which are are a subset of your immune system. And then over the years, by some sort of strange mechanism, all of these T-cells are gone and your body is unable to fight infection. Well, one thing I was unable to find was any consensus whatsoever on how this virus was supposed to be um, killing these T-cells. In fact, no... Genetic, uh, genetic material related to HIV has only been found in one to 1,000 or one to 10,000 of every a- every T cell in AIDS patients, which is a complete conundrum as to how it could be causing such devastation. Still, now, 40 years later, there is no agreed upon mechanism of how these T cells are depleted. And furthermore, HIV is not even really considered to be a T cell disease any longer. Um, or not primarily a t-cell disease there's a lot of talk about massive inflammation which is more like autoimmunity anyway going back to um my work on hiv i started to have some doubts and i was actually on my way to give a talk on a math mathematical model of hiv infection at a conference and i was reading spin magazine and celia harbour used to have a column in spin magazine for many years talking about um, people criticizing the HIV theory of AIDS, and there was a guest column by Dr. David Rasnick, who is a chemist, he used to work on protease inhibitors, he's been very active in in this movement, and basically my jaw dropped to the floor while I was on that plane, because he's basically saying, there's a whole lot of scientists that have never believed that HIV could possibly cause AIDS, because of some of the things I said, it's not sufficient for AIDS, because there are people with HIV that never develop immunodeficiency. It is not necessary for AIDS, because there's certainly plenty of people with full-blown immunodeficiency, with no trace of HIV genetic material whatsoever. And there's, they they can barely find it um, in HIV patients. But here's the, here's the the really interesting thing. Um, And let me just take you back to the early 1980s, when people started showing up in emergency rooms with these rare opportunistic infections, Kaposi's sarcoma, you probably Mm -hmm. remember Philadelphia when Tom Hanks gets this lesion on his skin and he's terrified because he's going to be fired from his job. Um, All sorts of crazy things that normally your body can keep under control. And I should say Kaposi's sarcoma has actually, is not considered to be attributed to HIV anymore. It's considered to be attributed to a herpes virus Um, at any rate the technology for counting t-cells had coincidentally just been developed at that point and testing the t-cells of these patients they found out wow they're really really low the typical values for a healthy individual would be um, around a thousand copies per cubic millimeter of blood and of course that that's just a confidence interval there's a wide variation in t-cells even from day to day in normal people so what happened was they started laser focusing in on T cells and looking for a virus that seemed to be tropic for T cells or like to hang out in them. And Robert Gallo of the um, of the NIH, he had um, been working on several human T lymphotropic viruses, which basically means T cells that like to go and infect, uh, sorry, viruses that like to go and infect T cells. These are uh, retroviruses, which means that they're RNA viruses that transcribe to DNA, um, the opposite of the, norm, the normal way that it's done. Um, So he started looking for a virus that would hang out in T cells. So there had been, he had three of them. There was HTLV1, HTLV2, and HTLV3. And for reasons that remain opaque to me, they settled on HTLV3. And in a very cunning linguistic move, they changed its name to human immunodeficiency virus to cement in the public's Mm. mind just what this virus could be capable of. But here's the thing, the idea, or the theory, that this was the cause of AIDS was announced at a press conference in March 1984 before any supporting evidence was published in the medical literature. There had been no papers supporting this. A couple months later, in May of 84, four papers came out in science. The big one, um, which was Robert Gallo's original cohort of, I believe, 72 AIDS patients, managed to find HIV genetic material in fewer than half of them. I believe that controls were not used. I cannot overstate how insane it is to put a paradigm into place that has affected and ruined millions of people's lives based on a correlation. I mean, we are taught that correlation does not imply causation, but this is a spurious correlation. It's not even 50%, how they, I, I mean, it should have been dead at that point. But the HIV train kept rolling, there was a lot of pressure, there were people who wanted drugs immediately. And what happened, the mistake I think that was made was that we narrowly focused in on CD4 T cells to the exclusion of every other immunological abnormality that is um, evident in AIDS, both HIV positive and HIV negative AIDS. And as a result, it's been a disaster for both the people that have been unlucky enough to be Um, given an HIV positive diagnosis and also for the people who are suffering from immune deficiency that don't fall under this HIV umbrella. And so they're just gaslit into believing that they're not really sick and not much progress is made in the research.
0: Do you think, so one thing I've kind of learned through, through this podcast is, is, I mean, I got banned from YouTube and, uh, for discussing COVID, and as I've uncovered more and more of it, I'm also 32, so I'm still relatively young and I guess uh, naive and dumb. And at first it was like, they wouldn't be lying about this. And then it starts to dawn on you that, oh, they are pushing this vaccine to make money and that it is a massive real-time clinical trial and that they're suppressing alternative treatments. And it you start to kind of get more and more I don't know if, not nihilist, but cold, and you start realizing just how mu- it's not just a, a truism. You know, it's like, early bird gets the worm, and money's the root of all evil. You start looking at it, and you're going, no, it really is. And then you have the wandering thought that, and I always use this example. When I was 18, me and my uh, best friend Joe got arrested for drinking, and uh, my parents had to come pick me up in front of his uh, house at 2 in the morning You know, with cops there. And uh, mm-hmm. I tried to lie to my parents. Oh, this is the first time I ever drank. No, it's you know. And my, you know, my dad looked at me. It was basically like, how dumb do you think I am? No, it's the first time he got <laughs> caught, right? Right. So it starts to it started to make me think. No, I think this is the first time we're quote unquote catching them for a mul- mm-hmm. multitude of re- reasons. You know, political unrest, all the riots, and everybody you know half the country was psychotically hated Trump, and then uh, and then obviously the advent of social media and multi-megapixel phones in every hand it got a lot harder to push bullshit narratives
1: well i I would love to talk to you a little bit about the connection with covid because um the book that so the book that i had come out a couple of months ago um which by the way was the target of a very pointed censorship campaign that failed that means you're good we can talk about that that means we can talk about that if we have time yeah um Anyway, um, it is an expanded version of a book that I published in 2007. Um, it's got about two, uh, 75% more new material. Um, the original book was called Science Sold Out, and the reason that the real AIDS epidemic came to pass was because um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. had referenced it several times in his book, The Real Anthony mm-hmm. Fauci, and and then it, it came to pass that the book was out of print, and so through you know, a series of machinations, um, we decided to re-release it in an in in a new and expanded edition. And of of course, there's a lot of interest in this um, topic because of the relation to COVID. And I I remember when COVID started happening and Fauci was on TV all the time, and they were talking about social distancing, and then they had that terrible mathematical model from the Imperial Imperial College of London. Uh, This is another thing um, that your listeners may not be aware of mathematical models can't prove anything if a mathematical model tells you that social distancing is going to have a certain effect it's because you input that as a variable and you assumed it to work the best that it can do is quantify it so this is where we get garbage in garbage out but that's just that's just an aside um so first of all covid was not the first time that a virus has been used to weaponize people and to make them distrust each other um you're a bit younger than me so you excuse me you know you you weren't a teenager when AIDS was really really scary but I mean people were terrified of each other I remember going into a a restroom at the mall and it said do you have AIDS yet if not sit on this toilet seat I think I was 11 years old at the time and anyways um But an interesting connection, and I think that this is super important We talk about Operation Warp Speed and how incredibly quickly the COVID vaccines were rolled out, basically, I'm not going to say the clinical trials were fudged, but they were, you know, massively foreshortened. Um, the, The precedent for that goes back to AIDS, because in the late 80s, there were no drugs for AIDS, nobody knew what to do, how to stop this immune destruction. People were clamoring for medication right away so they decided to recycle azt which it was a failed cancer chemotherapeutic sorry that for some reason i tripped over that word um come to the black box warning it had been shelved for being too toxic um it's a dna chain terminator which basically means that it stops all cell division and the idea is okay it'll kill the cells that harbor hiv and um hopefully it'll it, you know it'll kill th- those cells before it kills the patient and the first trial i think ran for 16 weeks they cut it short because they had such wonderful results i think 17 people died in the placebo group and one in the azt group there was immense political pressure people activists wanted free azt they put a generation of hemophiliacs and gay men on high dose azt and they all died really quickly AZT is still prescribed, not very frequently, um, but in much, much, much lower doses. Um, The journalist Celia Harper, whose book, um, Serious Adverse Events and Uncensored History of AIDS, came out the week before mine. um, Excellent book if you want to hear about um, the AZT scandal. I'm less versed in that than um, somebody like her or John Lauritsen would be. But I remember she recalled talking to some AIDS doctor at a conference or something like that. And she she said something like, you had to know that this was toxic. And the doctor, said, the doctor said, of course we knew it was toxic. Why do you think we lowered the dose? So that was the precedent. So basically what happened was that set a precedent to cut clinical trials off as soon as it was determined that it would be unethical to continue with a placebo. They also completely abandoned clinical endpoints in um, HIV drug clinical trials. The success or failure of these medications are based on the surrogate endpoints of um, T cell or viral load levels. And there's no correlation to health whatsoever. And the new drugs that have come out to replace AZT, they're not any better. There is a 23,000 person class action lawsuit against Gilead Pharmaceuticals um, for Truvada, which has caused liver failure, um, kidney failure, uh, bone necrosis. People are having both hips break by the age of 30. Um,
0: you said in the book, uh, teeth breaking if they bite into fruit.
1: Yeah, there's uh, there's multiple lawsuits. You can find them online. Um, this has been going on for several years. Um, but here's another interesting story about censorship. Um, in 2019, some AIDS activist groups, decided it was dangerous to have for people to see these ads about the Truvada lawsuits. In other words, to bring to people's attention the fact that people are being harmed by these drugs and they might be entitled to compensation. And so they basically started a letter writing campaign to Facebook to get almost all of the ads removed. And there's, there, there's just such an under an ugly underbelly in AIDS medicine of censorship of the, the harms that these drugs have done and uh, uh, if you, you know, if you go and you try to find any AIDS statistics online, it's impossible to separate it from HIV because the definition is circular. You cannot have AIDS, according to the official definition, if you don't test positive for antibody to HIV, whatever those tests are measuring, that's a whole other topic. But if you try to go and find any statistics for AIDS, all of the documents talk about how many people are retained in care and they, the whole end goal is to have people retained in care for a lifetime and you have to ask yourself if this is the end goal of the paradigm is this not a huge red flag hmm. and, and it gets even worse because not only are these HIV drugs being marketed to people who have already tested positive for HIV, they're also being marketed to HIV negative individuals as HIV preventatives under the um, term pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP. I'm sure that some of your viewers have seen the ads on television that are clearly targeting a certain um, racial demographic, shall we say. Um, You know, step up, PrEP up, and basically the idea is you're given an anti-HIV drug effectively as an HIV vaccine, because after almost 100 AIDS vaccine trials, every single one of them has failed. So they come up with this great idea, okay, well, it, well, we'll give people these drugs as prophylactics. And it's really incredibly clever, because if you have to you know, be tested for HIV while you're on these drugs to make sure you're still negative. But what happens if you seroconvert? Well, they give you more drugs. And so basically, you're retained in care for life. And this is their idea of, of, of success is to have people retained in care for a lifetime while their teeth fall out, their hips break, but they're told that it's a good thing because they're undetectable. I mean, it's not good enough. It's, it's just, it's not good enough for patients. It's a complete abuse of the doctor patient relationship.
0: So it does come down to, it's the first time you got caught drinking. It's not the first time you You drink. It's this is this is what big pharma is, and it's depressing to learn that. But it's also necessary if we ever have any hope of of changing. Not even some lofty goal. If we gotta tear down the whole, that never works. But even just making tiny changes, we have to at least address that. And I and I always say this: it's it's hard for the average person to comprehend it because the average person is good. The average person (laughs) is a. I know there are a lot of bad people out there. The average person wouldn't push toxic vaccines or drugs on someone for money. The average person would go, that's, nah, that's fucked up, right? It's hard Mm -hmm. for the average person to grasp that, myself and yourself included, because we're not evil, because we're not psychopaths. But it does, you know, just because, you know, if, if you look at the sun and it's bright and you look away, it doesn't mean it's not there. We do have to look at the fact that this does exist and it has existed multiple times in our lifetimes i think for most people it's been covid for you it seems like it was the it was aids is the realization that yet yeah, man this system is totally poison from the top down and that they will continue to do this no number of deaths is too many they don't care mm-hmm. it's anything to make lifelong patients
1: well the the covid situation was of course a complete tragedy but one thing i think that it's done is it's opened a lot of people's eyes to the fact that there there is corruption and you know some of it is just bad science you know some of it is innocent but it's it's not all innocent uh, i mean there is you know going back to the 80s suppression of beneficial treatments like bactrim for pneumonia it, you know in favor of these you know azt and these you know, more expensive designer drugs, um, which again are meant to be taken for a lifetime. If you have cancer and you're given cancer chemotherapy, um, you don't stay on that for more than a few weeks, as far as, as I know, and everybody knows how devastating those drugs are. I mean, you cannot expect to be on heavy medication for a lifetime without developing other problems. And I don't know if you remember this, but when the protease inhibitors came out in the late nineties, one of the, um, big side effects with these buffalo humps and fat redistribution. And that just opened up a whole nother um, industry of plastic surgery and drugs to combat the lipodystrophy. And so these people are stuck in basically indentured servitude to, you know, the medical industrial complex.
0: And I, yeah, I don't really know.
1: And as far as COVID is concerned, I think that, it, it was actually so when covid first started my alarm bell started ringing like crazy because it seemed like the same playbook was happening again like let's make what makes people scared of each other let's make people terrified let's make people not trust each other and it didn't seem for a while like people were getting it and at one point, I thought, okay, this is just is this just going to go on forever. And then I somewhere in 2022, I think the blinders fell off. I, I, I actually benefit, I actually credit the, the Freedom Convoy in Canada for for a lot of that. I mean, for Canadians, I'm Canadian myself. And for Canadians to rise up like that is really something spectacular to see. Um, Some somewhere the blinders fell off of a lot of people. And I just think that it was because COVID affected it affected everybody. I mean, eventually everybody got COVID. Everybody knew somebody who had COVID. Everybody knew somebody who had been harmed by the COVID mandates. And I think the reason that it hasn't happened that there hasn't really been a massive public reckoning with AIDS is just because thanks to the way that it was defined very early on as a risk group disease. Most people think that it doesn't affect them. And so they don't think about it. And that's why the subtitle of my book is how the tragic HIV uh, mistake threatens us all. And that is because there is also an epidemic of AIDS that has nothing to do with HIV that has been basically swept under the carpet. And I I, I mean, we can think about a lot of, um, disease states that are you know weird autoimmune diseases or strange immune deficiency diseases we've got things like lupus we've got rheumatoid arthritis long COVID is being looked at as at whatever that is as a potential um immune disease the biggest one is probably chronic fatigue syndrome um, there's some really good literature on it um, uh, osler's web by hillary johnson is a really is a really good book um but that disease It used to be called chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome, and just like they changed the name of HTLV3 to be HIV to make it sound scary human immunodeficiency virus, people who have chronic fatigue syndrome and are really sick, they're not just tired, they have neurological problems, they're susceptible to infections, some of them are wheelchair bound, it it, it looks an awful lot like HIV negative AIDS, and strangely enough, it appears mostly in women, whereas HIV positive AIDS, at least... if you're not talking about Africa, which is a very different epidemiological manifestation, um, AIDS itself, most in, in North America, mostly affects men, despite the fact that the rate of HIV positivity is actually not that much higher among men than it is among women. So that's another conundrum. Like, the demographic aspects of HIV are very strange, and they're not compatible with an infectious agent. As soon as they develop testing in the mid 80s, immediately they started screening the blood supply and military recruits. And it was determined that HIV positivity, whatever that is, was basically everywhere in the United States at about 1 million people, 0.3% of the population. That figure has not budged in 40 years. That is not how an infectious disease behaves. And one could argue, okay, maybe it was here a lot longer than than we thought and it had already come to stasis. Well, then why did AIDS show up in 1980? It should have shown up a lot longer uh, before then, if HIV had had any anything at all to do with this um, manifestation of severe immune deficiency.
0: So it's always it's always been around. We're just we're looking for it now.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, you build the tests and then you can find what you're testing for.
0: How does that change your perception on, on all things sort of except like, again, for me, it was COVID made me start look, trying to look under the, I guess, look behind the curtain more. How has that changed your mind when you start to see that, oh, they're just looking for something that exists. It's like, it's like if you ever look at like WebMD or something and it's like, does your big toe hurt? That's an aneurysm. And you're like, you're like, Shit, does it hurt? I don't know and it's like when's the last time you've ever focused on your big di- does your thumb have a dimple in it like that's brain cancer and you're like it is like you know it's we start looking for it how does that change your mind someone who is educated in this on everything and that that obviously it also on the other end it doesn't mean that everything's BS clearly but mm-hmm. how does that changed your mind on other I guess accepted things this is just what else is there. What else is there other than AIDS that's maybe complete B.S.?
1: Oh, no, absolutely. One hundred percent. And one thing that I would like to remind myself of and tell other people is that at every single point in history, most of what we have believed to be true has been wrong. And there's yeah. no reason to believe that that is not the case now. We have to have an open mind. Um, And the, the issue with HIV and AIDS is that the media has presented this nice neat package of well this disease came along but then we got some really good drugs for it and now it's been reduced to a chronic manageable condition but the thing is all of this falls apart when you actually look at the literature like the things that you hear in the media are not reflected in the literature one example is this idea of undetectable equals untransmissible it's u equals u you've probably seen it before some people have it in their twitter bios and it basically means that if you're supposedly hiv positive and you're medicated to the point that you have an undetectable viral load you can't transmit the only the, the primary medical the primary reference for this is a two-page opinion piece in the pr- proceedings of the national academy of science uh, co-authored by anthony fauci in which he admits that there is insufficient clinical trial data to support you equals you, but yet it's repeated over and over again. And another one is that pre-exposure prophylaxis means that you're not going to get HIV. It's better than 99% effective. You'll notice though if you watch the advertisements, they won't put a number on it because the FDA doesn't have a number on it. And then when you go look at the clinical trials, I think the best that they do is 92%, and it's more like 50%. Um, whether HIV positivity is transmissible at all, other than from mother to child, is also in question because most of the mainstream, um, the mainstream sources give um, an estimate of transmission transmissibility per um, sexual act as less than one in a thousand, which is not even sufficient to sustain a constant level of cases when you look at the data around HIV testing, and I would highly recommend um, a book by Henry Bauer from 2007. It's called The Origin, Persistence, and Failings of HIV AIDS Theory. He basically looked at all of the CDC data for HIV positivity from when they started testing and found that whatever's being measured by the test test is incredibly constant. Um, It appears at a Never zero in any in any risk group, including repeat blood donors who should be at no risk. Um, and it's always the same racial um, incidence. like um, African-Americans always test positive at a higher rate than do whites who test positive at a higher rate than do Asians. And the constancy and the frequency of the way that it shows up in every group is not the way an infectious agent behaves. It's certainly not the way an STD behaves. And I would argue that there is no evidence whatsoever that HIV is even an STD or is sexually transmissible at all.
0: When you point out that uh, all throughout history, the vast majority of what was believed turns out to be incorrect, it's also kind of hilarious that all throughout history they often acknowledge that, and then say, "But now it's different,
1: but not this time. It's yeah, this weird this
0: meta echo of of folly every everyone before nineteen o five they're idiots. we figured out we got the who, we're at we're, the
1: apex of knowledge right now, yeah who was it don't who, mess with us yeah, who
0: was it Rutherford or Bohr? or what of them said it was like nineteen o two, and they're like, we have i think this' it's, I'm going to paraphrase it because they they obviously were educated and don't talk like me they're like we figured everything out." The only thing left to do is fine hone the measurements. And it's like, yeah, man, that was three years after they invented the right flyer. And they're like, this is the apex. This plane made out of balsa wood and paper mache. That's it. We figured it all out. And it's like, no. And we have these revelations. You know, 70 years later, you get color television. And then, like, 10 years after that, you have. Bill Gates saying no one will ever need more than seven what seven hundred kilobytes of memory. I think a single, if I text an image, that's like that's like three million bytes. It's just an image. I mean, this podcast. I have a hundred terabytes of of desktop storage, and it's at every point we we get so close to learning, we get so close. Yeah. We go, we've always been wrong when we think we're right, and it's like you're almost there. But now it's different. And June first, twenty twenty three. It's, well, and it's, we really it
1: interesting. Out. it's really interesting to me because I have noticed that <sighs> questioning, questioning HIV as the necessary and sufficient cause of AIDS is for some reason the third rail for so many people, despite the fact that there's really not any strong evidence in the literature that it is the cause of AIDS. Like I said, it is barely, whatever HIV is, HIV-related genetic material is almost impossible to find in AIDS patients. They have to use PCR to magnify, you know, tiny bits of retroviral fragments to get a viral load. You wouldn't need to use PCR to find a virus that was causing actual damage. It would be there, you'd be able to see it. But I, I just, I think it's interesting, like why is questioning HIV the third rail? Like this would not exactly be unprecedented in history that we believed something to be true for 40 years or more and it turned out to be completely false and one of the things that people like to say to kind of wrap it up in a nice bow is well aids is now a chronic manageable condition and it's thanks to the drugs that came out i can prove that wrong really quickly first of all aids deaths started dropping in 1993-94 which was two years before any of the combination therapies were available and in fact, um, AIDS kind of seemed to be changing on its own into what I like to call long haul AIDS, which was sort of more like chronic fatigue syndrome or or like a, a chronic lifelong immune, uh, immune disorder. In fact, if you look on mainstream sources, they will say unmedicated HIV infection can lead to AIDS. But here here's why the drugs are not responsible for the fact that AIDS is not the big, huge problem that it was in the early 80s. And that is that there are about 1.2 million um, HIV positive individuals in the United States, something like 85% of them know their status. So that's 15% of them right there that are not on any drugs at all. But of those who do know their status, only about 60% are retained in care, which basically means that we still have half a million HIV positive individuals walking around unmedicated, there should still be a massive AIDS epidemic if that's the case. And if it's the drugs that are what is responsible for AIDS becoming a chronic manageable condition. I mean, the numbers don't lie. And it's just, it's all the information is there if you look for it. It's just the gap between what we're told in the legacy media and what is actually in the medical literature is enormous. And most people have neither the interest nor the time to look this stuff up i mean if you are a family practitioner and you've got a busy a busy practice and somebody comes in and tests hiv positive you're going to refer them to an infectious disease specialist you're not going to go look up what does this actually mean you know you're gonna you don't have time for that and if you have a family you're not going to be sitting at home you know in the evening reading up on all of the you know seminal papers on hiv and aids yeah it's just you know people people are, are very trusting and I have been called an AIDS denialist many times. This is, um, which is hilarious to me because I don't deny AIDS. I, As the late Liam Sheff, um, investigative reporter, said to me years ago AIDS is real, HIV is not. Some of these old guard researchers need to move over and we need to start looking at things so we can get some real answers, because what we've been doing for the last 40 years is not helping anybody. It's stigmatizing and in some cases criminalizing people for a positive HIV test, which may just mean elevated levels of antibodies to something else. There's over 70 cross-reacting conditions if you believe that it ever tests for a retrovirus in the first place. And that's a whole other rabbit hole that would take hours to go down.
0: But... like like real evil every uh always does you know using a, using a child as a, as a shield so you don't get shot that's you know it should come as no surprise to us that not only are these things total and utter bs but they make it so that if you question it you're a bad person you know, how oh, how yeah. dare you? You don't believe it. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just enough that I questioned COVID. It was you are just trying to kill my grandma. And it was like, mm-hmm. does it not give you pause that like the people who are standing to make billions of dollars are also maybe cunning and soulless enough to hide behind? some? How dare you question me? How dare you do that? And it's like, well, that that's what they're going to do. They're going to hide mm-hmm. behind it. You, they didn't. No one walked in with like uniforms on and took down the twin towers. They hijacked a plane full of civilians. Like, what do you expect? They're not. They're not. They're not real people. They're they're cowards. This is what they're gonna do.
1: Well, the fact that they are pr- are practicing science in such a non collegial way um, is really telling. If what I was saying or what people in my situation have been saying, if 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 it was so crazy, then. Why not just, instead of just saying, you know, throwing around a name, calling me a denialist or saying I'm responsible for African deaths, you know, why not have a collegial discussion? Why be so dismissive? There was a, a um, an AIDS researcher, I believe he's passed away now, Dr. Mark Weinberg, who said something like, well, if we could just succeed and get a couple of these guys locked up, then the HIV denialism movement would die pretty quickly. I mean, this is, this is not the way that we are supposed to behave with our scientific colleagues.
0: And... Was he wearing an SS uniform as he said that? We just have to shut up the denialists and then the pacifists will cease. And it's like, that's not, that's not, no one, and I always use this example. There is no like tag, you know, on YouTube and it's like, here's the COVID night. There's no tag about gravity. No one ever, you know, (laughs) if I come out on YouTube and I go, I think gravity is 10.81 meters per second squared. No one says, shut them down. We've got to lock them up. This is misinformation. They go, Yeah, you're a jackass. You're going to fail your next physics test. Right? It's no, no, mm-hmm. no one doubts it. You just, yeah, you just, gravity is not real. It's like, All right, man, step out of your fifth floor apartment. Figure people out. People have
1: had their, I mean, people have had their careers destroyed Absolutely and their lives destroyed, destroyed. Yeah, destroyed yeah. over yeah. this. Oh, yeah. it And, and like, with, without a care, I'll tell you something that happened to me when the first edition of the book came out in 2007. And, I had, had a piece called Why I Quit HIV that went viral on lourockwell.com. I got a lot of attention. Um, so, there was a, I was at the time employed at, as a math professor at, um, the, at a local university. And there was this concerted letter writing campaign. I think something like two dozen letters were written to my president, the president of my university, saying that I was dangerous and that I was going to cause people to not take these miracle drugs. And I should not, they should be aware that, you know, their university is associated with this crazy crank. And here's the crazy part. They claimed that I was online giving medical advice to AIDS patients. I was not doing that. Somebody had set up fake accounts pretending to be me and gave medical advice to AIDS patients. And then this was sent as an accusation to The president of my university at the time, and there have been other people who have been victims of letter-writing campaigns. There was a fellow at the University of Chicago who lost his lab, Um, Peter Duesberg, whose name you might have heard of. He's Mm -hmm. kind of you know the grandfather of AIDS criticism. He was an esteemed retrovirologist um, who should have you know knew more about retrovirology than Bob Gallo did at the time. That's for sure. He was a full professor, tenured, so they weren't able to you know fire him, but he basically lost his lab. He, and you know, he was assigned to the picnic committee or something like that. Yeah. And he was forced to do the rest of his work from the sidelines, even though, I mean, and I have some disagreements with some things that sure. Peter Duesberg said, but he got a lot of stuff, right? But that's and, fine to have uh,
0: disagreements. That That's science. That is science is to go, oh, yeah. I disagree. You disagree. Yes. But
1: these, I mean, these, these HIV zealots do not want any disagreement. What's... They want absolute lockstep agreement. And, Every time when you when you go and you look at this, the trail always leads to the drugs. It always leads to getting as many people retained in care as possible.
0: Yeah, there's never. And that's
1: their solution. There's no there's nothing holistic. There's no call to look at HIV negative AIDS. Like maybe if we started looking at the similarities between some of the um, immunological disruptions in HIV AIDS and non HIV AIDS, maybe we would actually start getting some real answers and real treatment especially for the people who are just ignored and told they're crazy because, you know, they're sick, but they don't test positive on this test that is not testing for a virus.
0: Yeah, no, there's never any zealots that are uh, pushing the... Well, I guess there are. When I do this podcast with doctors, pushing uh, generic drugs where there's really no profit margin. The, the, the zealots who want to shut up everyone else are tend to stand to make a lot of money. I have never once told people that they shouldn't get the vaccine. I was talking go, go get 10. I don't care. I also think you should be able to shoot heroin and dye your hair neon. I, I don't care. Go do whatever you want. I just because and I, have I know that
1: I've never told people that these drugs should be illegal or anything like no. that. Just get all the, you should have. If you want to go to an infectious disease doctor and be treated with anti HIV drugs for prep or whatever else, you should be allowed to do that. I just want you to have all of the information. I don't want any of this stuff suppressed. And when um, it's interesting um, that something that you said, because it reminded me, I mentioned there's um, a lawsuit on Truvada, um, which is one of the common anti-HIV drugs. It's also in PrEP or in some formulations of PrEP. And one of the um, tenets of the lawsuit was that Gilead was holding back a safer alternative um, because the patent had not expired on beer and of course when you look at it good Truvada's also got lawsuits on it right it's just they it, it's like that thing with ADT they just lowered the dose you know they haven't done anything magical with this stuff
0: yeah yeah it's a yeah no it's it, 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 it's a black hole of BS and um, you know you have one great and we do we got to wrap it up I'll, I'll shoot you an email I'd love to have you on again we can go down other rabbit holes but that would be
1: fantastic I've really enjoyed talking to you
0: me too I've, I've enjoyed having you on there's a really great line you and I'm it's early on in the book it's it's more like a paragraph where it's basically saying like nature is unforgiving if you make any non-logical assumption and to me I look at it as like if you have you know if you're in a perfect vacuum and you have two I don't know spaceships traveling parallel to one another and then if you just push one of them with like you know half a Newton of force it might take a million years but they're going to start to drift miles apart And Mm -hmm. that is what happens if you make a false assumption or lie outright consciously about a scientific paradigm is it might not happen immediately. It might take a week. It might take 10 years. It might take 100 years. It might take 500 years. Where eventually you're the idiot for burning the astronomer at the stake. It will Mm -hmm. come out. There is no stopping it. It doesn't matter that. We technically don't have to fight anything. We can stop talking about this. The truth will eventually come out. All we're doing is facilitating it, but there is no, it just is, and it'll all come out, and uh, you know, I guess I know which side I want to be on, but Dr. Kolshoff, we have to wrap this one up. Guys, in the description okay. is the link to the book and your sub stack. Please go check it out. Please go follow her. Uh, I will send you an email, and I would love to have you back on.
1: Okay, thank you so much. It was great talking to you.
0: Thank you so much. You as well, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Recording stop. Take care, everybody. Peace.